Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, this morning, if you you have your Bibles or if you didn't bring a Bible, pull the blue one out. You're going to want it. You're going to want it. We're, we're, We're turning. We're in Romans chapter 15, and I'm really excited about this message. Romans 15, if it's the blue one, it's probably around page 1,127, 28, right in there. You, you can turn it. Because we're, we're talking about this morning some of the issues that I think are important in every person's life. It was interesting, I had a dinner this week with some of the, the different individuals of members of Venture that are part of the church family. We're just talking about what's important, what's important in your life, what's important in the Bay Area. And there's some universal themes that are important in everybody's life. And it's interesting, I don't care who you are, where you've come from, everyone really wrestles with, wants to know that my life is making a difference, that my life has purpose. I mean, you look all over the world, I don't care what your belief system is. Everybody wants to be a difference maker on the planet. Next generation in particular is passionate about it. And when you try to find those answers of what is the meaning of my life, what is the meaning of life itself? It's interesting, I saw one of the most depressing answers to that question, what is the meaning of life? It was in a magazine, a new scientific magazine. And the the writer's trying to build a case for, you know, finding meaning in life. But he said, you know, honestly, if you just come at it from science, a strictly scientific point of view in his estimation, when you answer the question, what is the meaning of life? Listen to what he says, this is really depressing. He says, in trying to answer that, He says, the harsh answer is, there is none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they'll die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon, will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and sun will be destroyed. Eventually the universe itself will end. And against this appalling reality, how can human life have any real meaning? Like, well, Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) I mean, I know how you you can frame that if you're coming from that philosophical point of view. But I'll be honest in interacting with thousands of people over the years, even if somebody says, well, I have that scientific mindset, they don't believe that at a soul level. Everybody believes there's there's some meaning, there's some purpose. That's one of the reasons I'm passionate this time of year of introducing people to Jesus. Because I think Jesus, one, fills those soul level questions in a way that no one else can. But also for his followers, he gives us meaning and purpose. And that's why I think it's so important, you know, we've been going through this study on Romans and all that Paul's been teaching us about the gospel. Because when you live in the gospel, you find that. But this week, we're going to do something a little bit different because Paul's getting to the end of his letter and he starts talking about himself a little bit. Remember, this is a real letter. He's writing people. So he's telling them some about about him and what he's doing. And and as I look at it, in my my estimation, there's few people that made more of a difference, few people that lived more purposeful lives than the Apostle Paul. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we look at that and go, yeah, man, how do I live like that? Not that I'm called to live his life, 
but I want to live with that kind of purpose. And, and as you look at this passage, man, five things jump out to me of, of in a, entitled this, man, the life of a difference maker. Five attributes of this life. Look at the fir- first attribute of it is, it is a life of service to God. Look how he describes his life. Romans 15, we're starting in verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. He's writing the believers in Rome that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. He goes, man, I'm not worried about you guys. You guys are growing. You guys are teaching each other. At some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So he says, you know, I've been pretty pointed in some places where you needed to hear it. But look at this, because of the grace given me by God, and here's how he's describing his life, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And I love this, this line here, he says, in this priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm in this really unique priestly liturgical service. And he's not saying that because he's a priest. Paul was never a priest. Paul wasn't a priest. He was a Pharisee. He was a scholar. He was learned, but he wasn't a priest. He, he didn't do the sacrifices. He says, but I've got this unique priestly role. And here's what I'm offering up to God in my role, what my life's all about. I'm offering up the whole Gentile world because I was called as an apostle to them. That, that, that most of the apostles, and if you look through it, many of them, their focus very much was on the Jewish nation first and they had a hard time getting outside of that. Paul embraced from day one, I've been called to this Gentile world. I've been called to every nation. I've called to every people and place and that. And so my whole life has been about that service in that. And so you, you look at this, he describes his whole life as a sacred service to God. This, this priestly life, even though I'm not a priest, this is my sacred service to God, just like a priest would. He, he's just saying here what he called us to live out. Remember Romans 12, one and two, when we made the turn, he had told us what the gospel is and he says, let me tell you now how you're gonna live that out. Remember in that he says, therefore I exhort you, exhort you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice. So the same thing he's living, he told us to do as well. Alive and holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the most rational, reasonable way of life is to think of your life as an offering to God. Think of all that you're doing as a service to God. You you don't get conformed to this present world. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. And I tell you, when, when you put those two together, kind of two key questions I hear from people is, man, what is the purpose of my life? And what is the will of God for my life? And Paul says, both of them come right out of this. You start out as a purpose of life where you think of your life, man, my life's an offering to God. My life is a service to God. And out of that, as I pursue him in that, he's gonna show me his will. He's gonna show me what is good and what is acceptable and what's perfect. See, I I, I think Paul kept this so radically in the forefront of all that he thought and it shaped everything. Uh, Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says, he says, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life when the real question is where does my life fit into the greatest story of God's mission? We we get lost because we're like, man, how does God 
working in my life as opposed to where does my life fit into that grand story? Where does it fit into the big picture? Here's a question I'd have for you. How would your perspective change if you viewed your whole life as a service to God? If you viewed your whole life in the same way as a priestly service to God. Now he's not called you to be a priest. He's probably not called you to be an apostle like Paul. He's not called you to quit your job and come work at the church because that's the only way to serve God. No, he's called very few people to actually do that. But remember God's goal in unveiling his kingdom, he wants all of it. He wants every sphere of life. And so when you look at it, whether you've been called into religion or church, or you've been called into law or business or politics or the arts or science or technology, all of those things, he placed you where you are. He wants you where you are. He gifted you where you are. He sees you in his service. He sees your life as this holy priestly life of service that he's called you to do. How would it change you if you saw yourself that way? If you saw every day when, when I'm going, every day, and, and it was part of your decision-making matrix of life, then man, I'm seeking the will of God in my life because I'm serving him. I'm seeking the will of God in, in what I'm doing in my business because I'm ultimately serving God more than anyone else. And I wanna be the best at what he's called me to do because I'm serving him. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, I'm doing it for the glory of God. Paul never lost that mindset. And, and it changed how he evaluated his life as well. I, I read a story in the, in the book, Pursuing Justice by Ken Wisma. He talks about an African leader who spent 15 years of his life in, in some of the most vulnerable, dangerous part of the world, working with the people there. Wisma writes, he was born and raised in one of the most war-torn regions on the globe today, Eastern Congo. His life is regularly threatened. He faces the seemingly impossible task of trying to restore villages decimated by rape, murder, and plunder. Some visiting executives from a large, well-known global relief organization once toured the region. They noticed what an effective job he was doing. They offered him a position as part of their organization over the whole Congo operations. He quickly turned him down. On paper, it was the kind of thing you can't refuse. Higher pay, more security, great influence. It was a dream promotion that most Westerners would dream of, but he refused it. Listen to his reason why. He said, God gave me the job I have. He's helped me build the relationships and the respect that I have. He's opened the door for me all these years and kept me safe on every trip out into the bush. I'm right where God has called me to be. So why would I go anywhere else? I don't just want to do good. I want to be where God wants me to be. I mean, that's a powerful line. It's a powerful line that's easy to say. It's another thing when he's already backed it up with his decision-making. And I, I just encourage you, because maybe you're wrestling, maybe you're going, man, what is the difference I'm making? What is the purpose? And, and sometimes we can look at it, well, the only way to make difference is you're doing this glorious thing. Not if it's not God's thing for you. God may have you home right now with a bunch of little kids running around and you don't get much adult conversation during the day. And you kind of look at your life, you go, man, I, I went to college and I was trained and all these things and Am I making a difference? Yes, it's absolutely making a difference. 
And if it's where God has you, it's absolutely your place of service. God may have you in a company right now that you go, man, if I even uttered the word in the name of Jesus, I'd be in trouble. And I'm working all the time and, and, and we're doing this and I'm, I'm just wondering, man, am I making a difference here? It's where you, you go, God, do you have me here? Then you are his salt, you are his light. You are his witness because you have Jesus in a place that he may want you. See, our purpose is not because we did these great things. Our purpose is we did God's things that he had for our life. And we see our life as that act of service. Look at the second thing. It's a life of worship. It's a life of worship. Look how Paul puts it. Read on with me. When he said in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have a reason to be proud of my work. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And by the power and of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now you look at this and you go, Paul, you bragging a little bit there? I mean, he says, I have reason to be proud of my work. And if you just took it on paper, I mean, if anybody's got reason to be proud of their work, especially in the spiritual kingdom, you know, Paul personally planted over 20 churches in cities where there had not been church before. And that doesn't even count how many he planted by his followers that he sent out, the people he discipled. You look at the list of people Paul discipled from a Timothy to a Titus to a Luke and their impact beyond that, Priscilla and Aquila and the others. You, you look at books of the Bible. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament that we know of. That's, that's, that's quite the boastworthy list. But notice how he's describing. He says, I'm only gonna boast, I'm only gonna talk about, and he immediately turns it to what Christ has done to me. Because it, it's all about what Jesus did. In fact, my, my life wants to point to him. I, I, I love this. Paul credits Jesus for all his own personal accomplishments. He credits Jesus for it. He, he, he's like, I, I have no illusions here about it. I, I got nothing in my life that I would go, oh man, put that up to me. I know where it happened. I, I was thinking, I, we've got several boys that have played hockey over the years and so I, I like hockey with it. And if you follow hockey at all, the, the greatest scorer in NHL history, as far as just total, some might argue over beauty of it, but total is Wayne Gretzky. He's got like 960 goals or 890 goals actually. He's got though, it's interesting, he's got over 1900 assist. Assist is when you're the person that you sent the pass right there, right before they scored. You, you were the person you set him up. And you kind of watch Gretzky's career, as great as his goals are, I, I love watching his assist more. He's made more people look good over the years. Because he came down and he got all the attention. Everybody's on him. There's no way through. And somehow he, he, he gets the puck through right in front of the net for the guy who kind of skated down there. He's like, ooh, I get to score. He made him look good. And Gretzky actually talked about his assist more than the goals. His goal record might be broken. Ovechkin's getting close. They, they might get more goals than him. No one will ever touch the assist record. 
And, and, and I love this because as Paul thinks about Jesus, he knows who the great one is, it's Jesus. He knows when he thinks about his life and his ministry, give credit to him. Man, he has set me up, he has set me up. And, and Paul knows he not only set me up, he actually gave me the ability to score the goal at all. All of it goes back to him. And I just ask you, do you think about your life that way? Do I? Man, you had a great day, you closed a big deal. Man, does the credit immediately go to Jesus? You're able to accomplish, you're able to move up. You ever reach that next milestone? You're able to move into a new house. You're able, anything you have in your life, does, does your whole life go, man, you know what? God gets a credit for everything. Especially in our spiritual lives. And, and as you look at that, how would your attitude change if you gave God credit for everything? How would your attitude change if you gave him credit for not just some things, but everything? And the reality is, guys, that's what worship is. That's all worship is, it's ascribing work to God. It's giving credit to God. It's praising God for who he is. That's giving credit for who he is as God. It, it's, it's ascribing worth for what he's done. We look at nature and creation and all that. But the, the worship he wants, when, when Paul says that this is your spiritual act of worship, you, you're, you're laying your life on the altar, it's this recognition that God gives credit for everything. And if, if nowhere else in my heart, I know that. And I ascribe that to him. Worship's not just what we do kind of once a week when we get here and sing the song. It's not this part of our life. I, I, I love how uh, one writer, Timothy Christensen said, if worship is just one thing we do, everything becomes mundane. If worship is the one thing we do, everything takes on eternal significance. If worship is the one thing, the one thing that my life, I'm always going, oh, it's about God. I give credit to God. I worship God. That's the worship he wants. See, a lot of times we evaluate the worship on how much we enjoyed it. You ever had this conversation? You know, you kind of leave in church. Do you like worship today? Was worship good today? It's probably one of the key conversations, isn't it? Happens in the Lundy household too. I'm not saying there's not a place that, you know, parts of it you like, the artistic expression of it more. But notice we kind of turn it to what it did in me, how much I liked the gift I was giving. As opposed to, do we ask ourselves, how much did the receiver like what we gave him? Marshall Shelley talks about uh, years ago, his anniversary was coming up and his wife grew up as a farmer's daughter. And so he's, he thought, I've got the most creative gift for her. She's gonna love it. He bought her a rain gauge. <laughs> you know, a farmer's daughter, it's this beautiful rain gauge. We're gonna put it in the backyard and she can track the rain here. <laughs> she is going to love it. He was so excited about giving it. Guess what? His wife looked at him and said, you seriously gave me a rain gauge for our anniversary. And he realized then that the whole gift was about what he wanted it to be as opposed to what did the receiver actually want in that? A lot of times our worship, even as we think about worship, we reduce it to what I like doing in it, what I like singing, what, what really connects with me. And there's a place, I mean, you want the music as a key part of worship, but it's not the only part. You know the kind of worship, the kind of gift God wants the most? He wants you. 
He wants your life. He, he, he wants you to have that place and he wants me to have that place that we realize every day, oh, this next breath, oh man, that came from God. Oh, it was given to me by God. That we're thankful. And, and we reflect that. We give him the credit for everything. Look at the third part of Paul's life. It's a life of mission. It's a life of mission. You can't talk about Paul without mission. Look what he says. Verse 20, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He said, I always wanna go to some place where they've never heard before. He said, I'm not a builder. I'm the guy that tears up the ground to start it. And so I, I wanna go. He says, as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see. Those who've never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've been often hindered from coming to you. But now since I have no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. I mean, he's already planning, look, look at him. He's here in these regions, he's in Asia Minor, he's planted these churches. Now, remember again, He's just planted one church in different regions and he's already looking at it going, yeah, this area's full, they got it. There's somebody else that can build on it. They can go with it. Now I, I wanna come to you. He's writing to the people in Rome. I'm coming to Rome next. That's where I wanna go. But I'm not gonna stay with you guys. I mean, you got a great church there. I just told you you were a great church. I gotta get on to Spain because Spain was the edge of the world for them. I, I, I gotta take this where it's never been before. I love that Paul's vision for his life is to share with those who don't know Jesus yet. That's his vision for life. That's what drives him. That's what gets him out of bed. That's what makes him excited. And he's looking for those places. He's looking for those times of, man, where is it hard? Where's it the extreme? Where do I take this where they desperately need it the most? And I think that's the part I resonate so much with him. Because when I think about the gospel and I think about the edge of the gospel and the importance of the gospel, man, I, 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 in my mind, there's no more strategic place on the planet than for the good news to spread in the Bay Area. When I look at the cultures coming all over the world, when I look at the impact that this area is having around the world, I want it to be a gospel impact too. Now, I love how Paul, as he looks at it, because you can look at it and go, Paul, I mean, don't you want to slow down a little bit? You're getting older. You've planted enough churches. Why don't you just hang out in Rome for a while? He says, oh, I want to get recharged in Rome, but I want to take it on even where it's hard. And I think about that because living in the Bay Area is hard in many ways, especially as a Christian. I mean, it, it costs something. A lot of you feel that. And there, there's easier places to do all of this. But I think all of us, man, we're here because we feel God has led us. This service of our life has led you to the, maybe the company that's here. You, 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 you feel called here. And as we're here, man, shouldn't we be on mission here? I mean, if it's gonna be hard to live here, why not make it hard with the gospel instead of hard just to be hard? And, and what if God has uniquely called each one of us here and he's called you and he's placed you in your area of service and he's placed me and he's placed all of us because he wants to spread this in places where people haven't dreamed of it before. 
See, Paul always had that mindset. Here's a question I have for you though. What would change in your life if God's mission became your vision? When you, when you think of the vision for your life, when you think of the next phase of your life, when you think of the dreams of your life, when you think of what you're thinking about career and family and home, what would it look like though if that mission that has never changed since Jesus commissioned all of us, what if your whole vision was colored with that mission? That is part of the decision-making metric and your matrix that you take things through that you go, yeah, that, that's why I'm doing that for the sake of the mission. That's why I reach out. That's how I, why I pattern my life in that way. That's how I use my resources in life for the sake of the mission. See, I, I, I say that because it's easy. It's easy, even in the best of hearts, best of life, we can kind of go into maintenance mode instead of mission mode. And in maintenance mode, it's just like, it is hard to live here. I'm just trying to maintain. I'm just trying to hold on. And we can do that really quick as a church, by the way. It's really easy for churches to just go into, can we just maintain what it means to be a church? It's hard enough in California to do that. But the problem is once you turn into maintenance mode, you, you lose that, that whole passion that God's called us to. Uh, you know, when the Titanic sank, there were two boats that were within range. And one was the Californian. It was only 20 miles away. And the Californian had, had hit that point at night where it had been, begun shutting down, getting ready for its own night. And they had turned off their radio. And, and even as the Titanic started putting up flares and, and warning flares, the people in California and the captain and others looked at it and they were like, huh, I wonder what they're doing. They never turned the radio back on. It's just, we're, we're done for the night. We're maintaining. There was another boat, the Carpathia. And it was further away. It was about 60 miles away, but they had their radio on. They got the call. They steamed as fast as they could through icebergs. Took them three and a half hours. But they were able to rescue 705 people out of life rafts. See, that they were in mission mode. And one was in maintenance mode. Guys, it, it, it's easy for any of us, especially when life's hard and there's so much going on and you get busy, that we just focus on maintaining what we have. It's easy for a church to become that way. But here our commitment, we believe as the elders of this church, as the leadership of this church, as the staff of this church, the core in talking and conversations with you, we believe God has us here for a mission. And we will steam through the night and we will face whatever danger and we will be in response and ready to go in a moment's notice and we'll turn it outward because we don't want to lose what Paul carried for his whole lifetime. There's a reason we're here. Yes. That's why we're here. And, and I just encourage you and I challenge you. Please join us if you're not. And please be thinking about your life in that way. Let me give you two final points on it. One, it's a life of generosity. It's a life of generosity. Look, look how he describes it. He can't go yet. Because look what he says in uh, 
Verse 25, at this present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do this, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in the material blessing. And when therefore I've completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in fullness and blessing of Christ. So he says, I can't come to you yet. And if you read in his missionary journeys, in that last journey, he was collecting this big offering. The churches in Achaia, the churches in Asia Minor, they collected because the church in Jerusalem was in need. There was a famine in the land. And, and they felt a debt of obligation to that. And so Paul and the churches sacrificed for the sake of the big C church. And, and if you read through the letters, they sacrificed financially. And these churches didn't have a lot, but they did for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I like how Paul put it there. He said they were pleased to do it, but he also said they should do it. This, because the church in Jerusalem had been the spiritual base. It had been the teaching base. It had been all the churches owed them that spiritual base. And Paul says, there's a pattern. And I just say this, you see this in pattern in scripture that yes, we are to sacrifice for the sake of the church. We are to give to that. And Paul said, man, I, I'm so excited because they were pleased to do it and they should do that. And I would just say this to you. How are you using your resources for the sake of the gospel? How are you using your resources for the sake of the gospel? How are you using your finances? How are you using your time? Paul says, hey, I'd love to come to you now, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my life and my time and go deliver this gift. These churches have looked at their lives and go, man, we wanna sacrifice financially in that way. And I would encourage you, this is one of the key ways you get your life on mission. That is, we come into the new year, I've been doing a lot of study, we've been talking a lot as an elder board about just, man, what does scripture teach about money? What do we do with our life and generosity? It's been a very convicting study for me in different parts and it expanded. I'm really excited about it because I think it's teaching we need so that we go, man, I don't wanna lose the mission because sometimes you can lose it on this point. You can make the mission of your life the measure of money in your life. And I'm gonna tell you, money is a great resource it's a terrible way to measure your life. It's a terrible dead end, end of itself. And, and as you look at Paul, Paul, Paul lived this life of contentment that as I study it, I go, yeah, I want that more and I wanna share that more with us. But I, I would encourage you, just ask, how are you using your resources for the gospel? I, I was reading convicting words from uh, J.D. Greer. Just listen how he puts it. He's a pastor. He's over in the Carolinas in the research triangle there. He said, if you're not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel. I was like, ooh, that's strong. If you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you probably don't understand the gospel because the gospel's not about guilt. He explains it in this way. He says, first, a major component of what it means to be truly converted, changed by the gospel, is that you realize his kingdom is the most beautiful and lasting reality in the universe. You begin to find your significance in it, not just what you possess. So you don't have to spend a lot of money to add beauty and significance to your life. You, you've got that meaning in your life there. You're not chasing it with stuff. Second, you recognize Jesus, not money, is your security for the future. So you don't have to save extravagant amounts of money to feel secure. 
You're finding your security in him. Third, to be truly saved means that you have some sense of how gracious God has been to you. The Bible repeatedly says that the sign that you have tasted God's grace is that you become gracious. Thus, if you've tasted the gospel, you will be gracious instinctively. I I, I hope that you experience it and that's true for you. It's a great place just to evaluate how are you using your resources for the kingdom and specifically for the church? Because as I just said, as a church, we are passionate about being missional and it's your gift and your resources that allows us to be able to do that and have the impact of the Bay Area. It allows us to minister to families and homes and have all the ministries we have on a weekend, but all through the week as well. And a core part of that that God calls us to is one, it starts freeing my heart up to generosity, but two, it gets me on mission because the things I invest in are the things I'm most passionate about. That's how we're wired. Last thing that Paul's life is marked by, it's a life of prayer. It's a life of prayer. Look how he closes this chapter out. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable so that by God's will, I may be able to come to you and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. He says, I wanna do all these things. I'm planning on doing all these things, but I never assume them. So I need you to pray. In fact, Paul knows that God's power only comes through the prayers of God's people. And this isn't just true in this passage. Read every book that Paul writes over and over again. He never assumes that God's power is gonna be there. He always gives God the credit for it, but he always asks everybody, please pray, please pray, please pray. Look how he puts it in Ephesians 6. He's talking about a spiritual warfare. He says with every prayer, petition, pray at all times. To this end, be alert with perseverance, petitions. Pray for me that I may say the right words. I love this line. Here's Paul, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He says, hey, pray for me that I'll say it the right way. He never assumes. I begin to speak that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador. Pray that I might be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, I love this. Here's Paul, he's the boldest guy I know of. And he goes, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. I'm not bold on my own, I'm bold to the spirit. So be people of prayer. Here's a question I have for you. What are you pursuing in your life that will only be accomplished through prayer? What are you doing right now that if you go, man, that will not be accomplished unless I pray, unless people pray. And if there's nothing on your list, it's a great indicator. You're probably not living by faith because faith is stepping into what we can't see. And, and, and so as you look at it, you start going, yeah, am I living a life of faith? Am I living a life of vision? Am I living on the edge in a way that this won't be done unless the power of God shows up and the power of God comes through prayer. And so I need to pray. Guys, it, it, as you look through all these things, the reason God was able to use Paul, the reason Paul never loses his passion, he never lost that sense of purpose. He never lost that sense of why he was here. And it was intimately linked to the kingdom of God and that mission. In fact, if you look on the back of your notes, pull out your notes, everybody, pull out your notes real quick. You can see on the back of it, and some of you are going, Tim, this is a repeat. Didn't you just do this a few weeks ago? This is the Oikos strategy. 
This is a way for you to live on mission. This is a way for you to put it in action. It's a strategy. And if you look at it, it's a strategy marked by, you start looking at the people in your life. Who around you doesn't know Jesus? And you list them. Who are the people around you? Maybe they were part of it, but they've walked away, the prodigals. Who are the purposefuls? These are people in my life, man, they're following, but they're core part of my oikos. And then who are potentials? People that keep popping up. Maybe it's a neighbor, somebody at the coffee shop. And you list somewhere between eight to 15 people. You don't have to fill every line. You may have categories that are more than others. And then you start praying for them every day. You start praying for them every day. And you pray and you invest in them every day because remember you're living your life on mission. And so you start being intentional about that. You invite them where you can. Maybe invite them to a meal at your house. Maybe invite them to a women's study, a men's study. Maybe invite them to Christmas Eve service. But you invest and invite. And then you prepare so that you can share your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Now you go, Tim, you just did this. Why did you do this? Because most of these sheets didn't make it out of the room. And the vast majority of you have not done this. And I don't say that in condemnation. Anytime you have a new strategy, there's, there's a little bit of motivation to get the flywheel going. And, and you may look at it and go, well, Tim, you just want me to do your strategy. It's actually not my strategy. Tom Mercer at his church, he, it's his strategy. It's not perfect, by the way. I look at it and I could change it and that. But here's what I found. I can sit here forever trying to come up with a perfect strategy. And in the meantime, I go into maintenance mode instead of mission mode. And so if you really go, hey, I wanna be in mission mode, it's not a perfect strategy, but it is a strategy. So what's yours? Or is this something we like to rally about and we talk about, but at the end of the day, we're like the Californian and we turn off our lights and we've done church for the day and wasn't that good and we looked out for each other. Are we willing to say, no, no, we're gonna be like the Carpathia. We're motoring through the night. We don't care the risk. We don't care what it means. And we'll actually orient our life to it. Guys, we've got great opportunity. This is the perfect season for this. But, but I'm, I'm asking you, would you take the time and go home over this week and just start spending some time, even if you end up with three names on here, 10 names on here, and start praying and start looking for the signal flares of what's God doing in their life that I could show up, that I could be there. If, if we're gonna be here, if we're gonna be on the front edge, if we're gonna be where it's hard, isn't it the kind of life you wanna go, yeah, if we're gonna be here, let's make it worth it. The mission makes it worth it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you as I look around the room. I, there are so many people here. They have lived on mission in, in the Bay Area for years and decades. And, and they are such a testimony to me. Lord, I thank you for just how you have blessed this church. I thank you for the ways that we can reach out and share with our community. And we wanna use our resources. But Lord, I, I thank you that you haven't made this mission about just institutions. It's not just what we do together as this big church. We individually get to do this. 
We individually get to live lives of service. We individually get to go where you've placed us in our homes and our neighborhoods and our businesses all across the community. You've placed us there because you want us there. And you've placed people around us because they need to know Jesus. So Lord, I I pray for us today that we would recognize this, this unbelievable mission you've called us to. And we would embrace it because we know at our heart level, it meets those soul level questions around purpose. And all of that is found in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.